Uh, I'd like to, hi, um, but I always forget to do this, especially in, this, in the 1030 service. Those of you um, joining us via the live stream, we're glad you're with us. And if you're part of this church and you're just not able to be here, I love the fact that we have the uh, resources and the technology to, to, to help you feel connected even when you're away. But if, if you're watching and you're participating and you've never been here, um, we're glad that you can do that. Well, we would love to have you come and join us, not because not we want anything from you, but we would just like to know you. Simple as that. Simple as that. So um, let me pray and then we'll get, we'll get straight to this. This is a really... <laughs> difficult yet glorious passage from uh, Romans chapter 9. Let's pray together. Lord, clarity of mind, not just for me as I speak this morning, but for us as we hear what you want us to hear. This is not my message for them, it's your message for us. So, Lord, I want your words. I know that there were illustrations that I've used and, and thoughts that I have, but if there are things that you don't want said because they won't help, I don't want to say them. And if there's something you want said that I've never thought of that hasn't come to me in preparation or prayer, then, then I ask that you make it burn within me so that I speak your word for your people this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. I'm going to tell you about this passage. It's a strange one. Uh, John, uh, Romans chapter 9. This is um, a divider passage. Uh, not for most individual normal people that go about your day, uh, but in the church. Uh, it's really a contentious passage between the Calvinists or the people in the, from the Reformed tradition and the Armenians or the people like from the Wesleyan tradition. Uh, they, 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 like to, they like to come together and do this over this passage. I don't know why. Um, I know, you know, I lean one way or the other, but it, when it really boils down to it, which way it is doesn't really matter. What matters in the end is what Paul talks about at the very end of this passage, and that's what we're going to concentrate on. I just want you to know that, that I could stand up, and I've been kind of trepidatious about this this week. Um, I could stand up and try to dissect this whole thing and all the God's sovereignty and, and God's choice and that God shows mercy on whom he shows mercy and he, and he doesn't to others. And, and you know, you can get caught up in your own underwear about it. Um, and that, that illustration doesn't mean much to people, that word phrase. But when I was in high school, I, I, yeah, there's people going, yeah, whatever, here he goes again. Um, when I was in high school, I skied on the ski team at Cannonsburg. We lived not far from there. We, we, we drove about 20 minutes every, every day, five days a week. And this is before we had tech fabrics, that, that moisture wicking. So we had long johns. Now, long johns, union suit, it was red and it was cotton. It had a flap back here and it had buttons elsewhere. And when you are in high school and you're skiing hard and you get sweaty, and then you come in and you have hot chocolate or coffee and one of those donuts that's just fried dough, you know, and with a little powdered sugar on it. And then before you go back out, you go visit the facilities. And you got a little sweat going on. You got ski boots on. You got bibs on. You got a coat on. You take all those things off. And then you get down to that spot where you have to take off that union suit. And because you've been sweating, it gets all sticky. And I don't know if you've ever been in this, but you're like, why can't I get this off? It's just a shirt and pants, but they're connected. So you get caught up in your own underwear. It's, it went on real easy. Later on, when you don't have ski boots and everything else, you're not in that little, that little spot in the facilities, you can take it off just fine. You can get caught up in your own underwear about this. So I'm just going to tell you that there are things that I could say 
that would confuse you, but I don't want to become the very thing that Paul says he, that God placed in front of people, and that is a stumbling block. So I'm going to try my best today to tell you only what you need to know. I encourage you to go read, and I encourage you to hop on YouTube if you want. Look, John, look up John Piper. He spent nine months and wrote a book, 240 pages, on one verse in Romans 9. That's how complicated it can be. And then people got upset with him because he did it. Just crazy. Let me just boil it down to this. One word. Faith. We've talked through the guilt and the shame of sin. We've talked about it's grace and grace alone. And now we're moving into that idea of how do we live in gratitude to God. That's the book of Romans. And Paul has some things to say. And I want you to know that right at the beginning, it refers back to the first couple of words refer back to all the stuff previous in, in the chapter 9. Basically what it means is this. Those that have followed God's rules, the Israelites, are not necessarily saved because they followed those rules. In fact, Paul will say that they've lost They've lost it. They're not. He grieves that his brothers and sisters, his countrymen, are going to hell. Not all of them, but those that were trying to keep the religious worship and rights, R-I-T-E-S, and laws. They were concentrating on how they might appease God. And Paul is trying to show them that it wasn't that way before. It certainly isn't that way now that appeasing God doesn't do anything. The only thing that saves is faith. Grace through faith. So here's what he says. What then shall we say? Here's a statement that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Paul is, in a couple of words, four verses, boiling down the issue of Christianity. I want you to look at two words in here. The Gentiles. What should we say? What then shall we say? That the Gentiles. By the way, Gentile, anyone that's not Jewish. Anyone that's not Jewish. So if you're wondering if you are one, if you don't have the Davidic bloodline in you from David, then you're a Gentile. So what shall we say? What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue, who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. And those that pursued a law of righteousness have not attained it. There's a difference. Obtain, attain. Here's what it is. If I obtain something, it is not something that I worked for. It's something that has been given to me. So I, I, I receive it, but not of my own accord. It's like an inheritance, my uh, daughter and son-in-law are here, and they'll be sad to learn that they're not going to get anything from me when I die because I don't have anything. So there is no inheritance. 
just the blessing of the gospel that you share, okay? Um, but if you, if you were a rich person and you had money to give away, those who received it would obtain what you gave to them at no cost or no merit of their own. Now, it gets a little tricky because some of you that have a will or have an estate or have a trust, you've decided who to give things to in part based on how they behaved, what they've done, that kind of thing. But Paul is talking about that they have not, they, the, the, the Gentiles attain it even though they didn't pursue it. We can get a little, get a little weird here, but God, if you think about it, this is referring back earlier in the chapter, that think of... Um, You know, remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob and Esau, they were brothers. Before they were born, they were twins in in the womb. Before they were born, God spoke and said, the younger will be over the older and the older will serve the younger. So had Esau or Jacob done anything? Had they done good or bad? No. Was there anything, anything at all that either one of them had done to merit God's decision? No, that's the sovereignty of God. God gets to choose what he does and who he provides that promise. So if I attain something, I work for it, and I I, I get what I deserve, I earned it. The people of God who followed the rites and rituals had decided that if I work hard enough and I do the right things, day to day, minute by minute, hour by hour, if I go to the right place for worship, if I practice the law, if I do, if I make myself holy, then God has to reward me with eternal life. That is something that you think you attain, you work for, and God has to give. So God works for you instead of the other way around. And Paul right here is saying those that do that have not attained the very thing they were trying to earn. Those who didn't do that have obtained, God has given, they've inherited something that they didn't work for. And that's the beauty of Christianity, but it's the thing in Christianity that we we dislike the most. You do not get what you deserve. If you think you're pretty good, you don't get what you think you get from being pretty good. If you think you're nothing, you might get everything. There are two types of people in the world, those sinners who believe they're righteous and the righteous who know that they're sinners. I know. Put it to you this way. In the church in the West in particular, We've kind of convinced ourselves here that we're saved by grace through faith. But the way we behave tells us that what we really think is if we're good enough, God has to bless us. So we think that if I do the right things, God has to do these things for me. And then we get angry with God or disappointed with God or hurt by God when he doesn't give us the thing that we think we earned. But scripture says that all power, all things, all inheritance, everything that God is, is yours if you only receive it. Belief, I know what God did for me and I'm going to show him that I deserve it. Faith, the book of Romans tells me that I'm not good, I don't pursue God, and the wages, what I earn from my sin is death. So, there's not a darn thing I can do about it. So, I'm going to hope and trust that God has done it for me. It's a really, really, really old preaching illustration. 
You might have heard it before. Uh, former pastors here might have used it. I know I've never used it here, but who's ever been to Ni- Niagara Falls, the Great Horseshoe Falls of Niagara? A couple of them. All right. There's a, there's a few. All right. Used to be the place where everyone went for their honeymoon. It was like the big thing. Now it's kind of one of those places you drive through when you're trying to go to the East Coast and you go through Canada. And, and it's really backed up. And They used to do daredevil stuff there. So people used to pad themselves in barrels and they'd get in the, in the rapids and they'd go and they'd plum, plummet down and they'd get all caught up in it. And then if they survived, they were in the paper for a while. But there's another story. I don't know if it's true or not because it happened before I was either born or before I knew enough to, to, to research it. But it's a story of a man who put a tightrope across the Great Horseshoe Falls. And he, when, and he went back and forth several times. First time he went across and he had one of those big long poles. And he did the little balancing thing across there. And he, there were people gathered on either side. And he went over one way and then the next time he goes, I'm going to leave my pole and I'm just, just with my arms to balance, I'm going to walk across. And then he got back to the side that he started on, and he took a wheelbarrow across. And he just walked like that. And then he got across, and he said, do you believe, this is what he said to the crowd, do you believe that I could get you, if you got in this wheelbarrow, that I could get you across to the other side safely? Yeah. Get in. No. There's no way I would have gotten in that. One is belief. I believe he could. The other is faith. I believe you will. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't see. Now, if you're, if you're on this side of the, the falls and he says, get in the wheelbarrow, you're going to hope for it and you're going to believe in what isn't true yet if you actually get in there. That's the whole idea of trust and faith. They're irre- you, can't, you can't pull them apart. Trust is giving someone something they can hurt you with. Think about it. When someone has broken your trust, what has happened? You were vulnerable, and they misused that vulnerability. They, you gave them something they could hurt you with, and you hoped that they wouldn't. Faith is the idea that I'm going to give to God or anybody else something they can hurt me with, and I'm going to believe with everything that I am that they won't. Paul is saying here that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it because it's a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel pursued a law of righteousness, the doing, 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 all the right things to show God how faithful you are, have not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by work. So here... What Paul, what I would like to challenge you with today is do you have faith that comes from God or are you trying to show God how good of a Christian you are? Because the behaviors look very similar, but the motive is completely different. Martin Luther, I don't know if you know much about Martin Luther, but he did not like the book of James. He loved the scriptures, but he didn't like James because James seemed to to concentrate too much on works. He had to wrestle with it. He had to grapple with it. And and so someone asked him the question, what do you do with when James says, faith without works is dead? And the answer, he talks about the apostle Paul in Romans right here. He says, the apostle distinguishes between law and faith, the letter and grace. The works of the law are works done without faith and grace by the law, which forces them to be done through fear or the enticing promise of temporal advantage. I'll explain that in a minute. 
But works of faith are, done, are those done in the spirit of liberty, purely out of love to God. And they can be done only by those who are justified by faith. An ape, big leap here, an ape can cleverly imitate the actions of humans. But he is not, therefore, a human. If he becomes human, it would undoubtedly be by virtue of the works by which he, he imitated, undoubtedly would not be by virtue of the works by which he imitated man, but by virtue of something else, namely an act of God. Then having been made a human, he would perform the works of humans in proper fashion. If I'm in the doghouse with Lynn, and she's out of town right now, so I'm pretty safe. <laughs> if I'm in the doghouse with Lynn, what might I do to earn her favor? Make sure that the kitchen is clean. I know the one thing I often do is I cut English muffins over the counter and I leave crumbs on the table. She hates that. So I'll cut them over the sink and I'll rinse it out. But if I'm in the doghouse, I want to do my best to appease her and to make sure that she knows that I love her even though I behaved in a way that wasn't loving before. If I just love her because she's awesome and she married me, what am I going to do? I'm going to make sure that the things that I know she doesn't like, I'm not going to do them. And I'm going to make sure that the dishwasher is taken care of and that, that, that I notice the, the, the picture book, the creative memories book that she put together. And I'm going to ask her to walk me through it. Same, I'm going to do the same things, but my motive is different. One is I want to earn her favor. I want to appease her. I want to please her. The other is because I'm pleased with her, because I'm grateful for her. See, same actions, different motive. Where are you with God? Are you pursuing a righteousness that as if it's by works, I'm going to do my best to appease or please God? Or are you on a spot that out of gratitude for all that he's done for you, you're going to behave in such a way that looks very much like you're trying to earn it, but you don't have anything to earn because you've obtained it. It's been granted you. See, grace is getting what you don't deserve. If you think you can deserve it, it's not grace. And if I believe that I can show God how, how worthy I am of my salvation, then I'm doomed If, however, I receive for myself that which he's offered me, an inheritance, and I obtain the inheritance because of what he has done, not what I have done, then wouldn't that motivate me to do great things? Wouldn't that motivate me to not worry any longer out of fear? Paul needs you to ask this question. I want you to ask this question. And I hope you've, you, you've struggled with this and you've asked yourself these questions before. But are you motivated to be a good Christian or are you motivated to be a follower of Christ? Because if you're motivated to be a good Christian, then it's out of fear more than anything else. What will people think if I behave this way? Will they give me accolades because of how faithful I look? Or will they judge me because of how faithless I look? That's the human condition. But I want you to remember a couple of weeks ago, the, there were three laws. The law of the sinful nature, the law of righteousness, 
all those works and rights and things like that, and the law of the Spirit. And the first two will lead to, con- lead to condemnation. But the law of the Spirit is the only law that saves. And that is what God has done for you. And he places the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, takes up resonance in you. We often try to change our behaviors, but God is not concerned of what other people think of you. He's concerned of what you think of him. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't see yet. Now, should you then not do any good works? Of course not. That's ridiculous. Why you do them, what they're motivated from, one is I've got to please God. The other is I'm already pleased with God. See, the gospel story starts off, one of the first lines of all the gospel is this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to humanity on whom God's, you know this word, favor rests. God favors you. You're his favorite. Not because of what you've done. It was stated before you were even born. He has picked you because he loves you. You don't have to behave in such a way that get him to love you. Remember Paul said in the last, in last week, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says that he is convinced that neither death nor life nor, nor, nor angels nor demons nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God. You can't prove to God how much you love him. You can't prove anything to God because God is God. So stop trying. There's an old story about George W. Bush. Greg and I have shared this a couple of times, but George H.W. Bush, President 41 and then 43 is George W. Anyway, George W. Bush was an alcoholic and crazy. And one day he backed out of their family's driveway and he, 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 he got arrested, and he'd been drinking, and he, and he backed out, and he knocked into some trash cans and just ruined the car and ruined the trash cans and everything else. And his dad brought him into his study, and he sat him down, and he said, he didn't say, he usually gave a lecture, but he's kind of had his, he was at a study at his desk, and his back turned. George is just sitting there. George W. is just sitting there waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. His dad turns around and just says, George, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, I'm never going to stop loving you, so stop trying so hard. God says to you, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, there's nothing I can do, that's, nothing you can do that's going to make me stop loving you. So stop trying so hard. Stop trying to appease me. Be pleased with me. Stop trying to act like, like, like you're in the wheelbarrow when you're not. Are you in the wheelbarrow? If Jesus himself were strapping a wheelbarrow across this auditorium or strapping a, a, a tightrope across here and he, and, and, he, and he pulled the wheelbarrow up and you saw him walk, And he said, get in. Would you? Honestly? Because if you wouldn't, you're pursuing a law of righteousness as if it's by works. And Paul grieves his brethren are going to hell because they're still convinced that they can appease God. The book of Romans 
is in the Bible and written by Paul to convince you and I that there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. So stop trying so hard. There's also nothing you can do to get God to love you more. So stop trying so hard. Is your only comfort in life, everything, and death that you're not your own? That you belong to another? Honestly? Because what that means is everything that you are, your money, your mind, your house, your job, your neighbors, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren one day, your notoriety, your fame, your riches, your lawn, everything belongs to him. That's faith, that I no longer belong to me, but everything I am, everything I have now belongs to other. Is God trustworthy? Because when we behave out of belief or out of appeasement, we're saying that we're fearful, that God is not faithful. But we've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So, are you fearful that God is not faithful? When we get disappointed with God, it's because somehow, some way, we've convinced ourselves that, that God's job is to make my life more comfortable, easier, and full of bliss. It's the great American way, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. God did not come. He did not send Christ. Christ did not redeem you so that you would be more happy. It's so that you would be more holy. And his desire is that you could find and receive and experience joy even in the midst of suffering. Not for the suffering, but in the midst of it. You can, have, you can get a terrible diagnosis from the doctor. You won't be happy, but you can have joy. Because a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come, says Jesus, that you might have life in all of its fullness. Here's the problem, folks. We don't believe it here. It's not an accusation. It's my own struggle. I want God to give me what I want. I don't want God to give me what he wants. You hear that? I don't want his will. I want mine. That is religion. It's a pursuit of righteousness by works. And it's a belief that God's job is to make my life easier. Paul writes this book to those who believe that they can appease God. And he says, you can't. Stop trying so hard. And receive for yourself the gift of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to leave you with this. I'm not going to use her name. When I was in high school, I became a Christian August 5th, 1981. About a year later, I started my discipleship process. So I got to know Jesus in 81. 82, 83, I started to, 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 to I met him. I started to get to know him then. And I had stopped some of the things that, that, that Christians or that parents don't want their children doing when they're in high school. 
You know, when one person's parents are gone, all the kids gather around, they do some things that if the police showed up, you'd run. I stopped doing that stuff, but I still had this social need to be with the people that I wasn't behaving like anymore. And I found myself at this party sitting with this young lady, a classmate of mine, on the stairs, and awkwardly and probably self-righteously, I'm trying to communicate or witness my faith to her. And here's what she says. I understand what you're saying. I understand what God has done. I don't want to give up control. Now, that's pretty astute for a 16 or 17-year-old young lady. But that's where a lot of us are. Not here, but here. I still want to control what God will or will not do in my life. I still want to control what God will call me to or what he won't. I still want to control what happens to my children and what doesn't. So I either have to trust that God knows better than I do, or I have to get rid of God and become one myself. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And it's trusting that God is God and I am not. And that he has something better in store for me than I have for myself, even though I want God's will to bend to mine. So here's the question I want to ask you to ask yourself. Actually, I want to ask you to ask God to search your heart. Is there any part of your life that you're saying, no, Lord? Because faith is simply this. Yes, Lord. I'm not my own. I belong to someone else. Is there any place in your life where you're saying no? If so, confess it, repent of it, ask forgiveness for it, receive that forgiveness, and ask God to give you the power to get in the wheelbarrow, to trust him. Because trust is giving someone something they can hurt you with and hoping that they won't. Faith is giving someone something they can hurt you with and believing that they won't. Do you believe that Jesus wants what's best for you? Romans 10.9, which we'll get to next week, says this. If you, Greg quoted it earlier, if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, it's belief, and believe in your heart, that's with everything you have, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And think about that. If those things are true of you already, you are already in the, you're already in the state of having been saved. So stop trying so hard. Stop trying to show God how great you are. He knows you're not. And he loves you anyway. And that's the glory and the beauty and the power of the gospel. You... Those who do not pursue righteousness, obtain it. Those who pursue it, don't. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But not to prove to God how good you are, but because of how good God is. Let's pray. Lord, give us courage to put our faith in you.
it's scary because we have to give up control and then there you have something that you could hurt us with and we're going to believe that you won't. Lord, I am not my own, but voluntarily offer myself to you, body and soul, and life and in death. You are my faithful Savior. In Jesus' name, through the power of your Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. No matter what God calls you to do, yes, Lord. No matter what calls you to give, no matter what God calls you to give, yes, Lord. No matter where God calls you to go, yes, Lord. And if there's someone that you love that he's calling to go and you don't want him to go, you still say, yes, Lord. My daughter and son-in-law might be going halfway around the world to somewhere I don't know as missionaries. And do I want them here? Yeah, I want to know my grandkids. But is God smarter than me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is God more loving than me? Oh, yeah. Does he love them more than I do? Yes. Who do you think's got a better shot in making sure that they do what's best for them? Me? No, God. That's faith. Believing that God has something he can hurt you with and knowing that he won't. He's never going to hurt you. He's only going to love you. So let him. The Lord bless you. And he has. Keep you. And he will. Make his face shine on you. And it does smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.